Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Have you ever just wanted to look at somebody before and say, let's get it together. Let's just, it's time that we get these things. We got to bring it all together. It's time to get everything together. You ever been there before? I found myself repeating that yesterday when I was watching certain football games or so. I mean, you have these moments where you just look at people and say, you just, you got to get things together. Maybe it's on a Saturday at watching a football game or maybe it's on a Sunday morning trying to get to church. There are different times when we just seem like we've got to get things together. And you know there's a moment in the church's life where sometimes God says to us, we've got to get it together. I was marveling as I heard that video a moment ago that there, were, there was that one testimony where they said we just couldn't, couldn't seem to get along and different people were leaving and all. And, and, and I would say that's one of those moments where God would say, you've got to get it together. And you know, as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here, that's what I hear Paul saying to this church, to this New Testament church. He looks at them and he says, it's time to get this stuff together. We got to do things together because we've got work to be done. And you can do work better when you come together. That's what Paul says. I want you to see specifically his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. It says, who then is Paul... Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which, I was, which was given to me, as a, ma as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, Paul is addressing a church that is disjointed and is not unified. And they have gathered around these personalities. Now, these are good personalities. I don't think the leaders themselves meant for there to be division. I mean, certainly Paul did not. Certainly Apollos did not. Cephas. When you read through it, it seems that there are these factions within the church that have developed around personalities. And Paul looks at them. And he makes a plea to them, I think, in these verses of getting this work together, of coming together so that they can make a difference for the kingdom of God. He begins in verse 5 by saying, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Notice, notice 
he humbles himself before God in God's work. He says, who are we that we're going to be able to do things without God? He said, all we are are ministers through whom you believe. The word minister there is the word for servant. We are the servants. We are the minister. We are the individuals that have humbled ourselves before God and he has used. Notice the wording there again, verse 5. It says, through whom you believed. It's not upon Paul that these individuals have believed. It's not upon Apollos that they believed. But God has taken them and has used them. And it is through that message that they have brought that these individuals have come to salvation. And here he begins to really identify that work. And what he does, the way he fleshes out this idea of work is, is he gives us two analogies, okay? He gives us the analogy of the work in the garden and he gives us the analogy of the work on a building. That's basically what he does. It boils down to those two analogies as he says, let's get it together to do the work, the work in the garden and the work on the building. And notice the terminology that he uses. Verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. Later on, he'll talk about the planting, reaping. In verse 9, he'll say, you are God's field. Looking at the church, he says, you are God's field or you are God's garden. You are to work in the garden. Now, for some of you, you probably don't want to think about working in the garden right now. Sunday morning, you don't want to think about work at all. You want to talk about rest and you want to talk about worship. But here... Paul says, we've got to come together to do the work. And he uses the analogy of the garden. Now, I know many of you have gardens, right? Many of you had gardens this summer. I only got tomatoes from about two or three of you. But you said you have gardens. A bunch of you did, probably. I'm sure you did. You know, gardening, it can be a good thing. It can be kind of like a little hobby. Uh, for some of us today, that's more what it is than perhaps work. And uh, Leslie... Before we moved here, Leslie had insisted that we have a garden in the summer. We'd have a small little garden. When I moved here, if you were to put a garden in my backyard, the deer would just uh, eat everything up before we could, we could get anything out of it. So I praise God for Rustin and deer and <laughs> because now we don't have to plant a garden. But sometimes you just do it as a hobby. But remember, in the New Testament, the agrarian agricultural uh, society that it was they were dependent upon growing things. They were dependent upon vineyards and gardens and fields. They were very, they found it very significant to have produce. And that's what you see here. You got to remember that. And it was tremendous work. Some of you think about those days when you worked, you worked really for your livelihood in a garden or a field or it was tremendous work. My grandparents on my mother's side they basically survived through a dairy that they had with a few cows and with a garden that they would raise. That's basically all they had, all the income that they had. And somehow it was tremendous work. I would go out with my grandparents sometimes and you could see the labor that was intensive in their lives. And I remember my dad. I remember the conversation I had with my dad a few years ago. We were about to have child number three. And he said, Reggie, what are you thinking having all these children? How many are you going to have? 
And I said, well, Daddy, I don't know. He said, well, you know, it's just difficult raising children today and all of that. And I said, Daddy, I mean, the way I counted, there were like eight in your family. There were, you had four, eight children. He said, Reggie, he said, understand, when they had that many children back then, they had us to work in the garden in the fields. It wasn't to have more children. It was to increase the labor force. He said, why do you think I went into the military when I did? It was a whole lot easier in the military than working for your grandpa and your grandmother. It was, it was something that you worked. It was labor intensive. And again in the New Testament, in an agrarian society, the field, the garden, it was labor intensive. I mean, it was hard work. And notice here as he's speaking, he talks about how the work is even divided up, at least the way it is within the church's life. When you think of the church being God's field or God's garden, he says what has happened is that God has divided up the workload. He says that each person, each person has his or her role within the church. Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered. watered." Paul had planted this church literally. If you read Acts chapter 18, you will see that Paul stayed there for 18 months planting the church at Corinth. He had led Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, to Christ. He had led others to Christ. They had come to faith. They had placed their faith in him, in Jesus, that is. And what Paul had done is after this, he had moved on. You know the way Paul would do. He would go in, he would preach, he would plant a church, and then he would move on. Eighteen months later, he would move on in this case. And here, it was Apollos, according to Acts chapter 18, Apollos who came in and was very skilled in teaching and maturing the believers. And God had used both of them. It wasn't like God had used either one. He had used both and... Certainly, he'd use them for the gospel. Peter had planted, I mean, Paul had planted. Paul had seen the increase. He had seen God work in so many different ways. And Apollos had come around and he had preached and he had taught and he had seen God do some amazing things. God has a role for every one of us. Every one of us. And Each one of us should be servants working intensively for the kingdom of God, fulfilling our role in his church. Now, this week I was reflecting just a little bit upon the church here at Temple and thinking about how God had used different people through the years, just as he had here, to plant, to water, to use in various roles so that the gospel would go forth. I mean, think of all the different ones. I, I, I went out into the hall a moment ago and just looked at the pastors on the wall. Um, if you go out, some of you may know this, some of you may not know this, but in the hall behind me, there is a wall that lists all the pastors, beginning, I think, in 1926. Some of you know 1926? That's when our church was founded, right? Some of you know that? Some of you were here giving. <laughs> trying to get some response from you this morning. I, 1926, church was planted. There were all kinds of pastors through the year, through the years. I think it was a brother Bochum or Bochum that was one of the first pastors. 
You will look at the list. You'll see others. Dr. Gray, whose family's here with us this morning. And, of course, Dr. McGee and Dr. Rick and others. And you think about each one's ministry. When you look at that, you begin to really think about the ministry that each one provided and how God used each one of them in his own way. In his, in his own way to present the gospel and to grow the church. I was reminded of this passage when I thought about how Paul said I planted and Apollos said I wa- or Apollos watered. I was at my first church, Pine Grove Baptist Church. Well, one of the first churches that I served as pastor, that is. And I was up visiting with Mr. Ray Martin. Mr. Ray was a World War II veteran. He was a great guy. He was a wonderful individual. And I had just come to Pine Grove, and I was up there, and he, he began talking to me about all the former pastors. And um, he started back with Brother Dan Howard, who's First Baptist, Philadelphia, Mississippi now. And he said, you know, Brother Dan was the compassionate one. He was the compassionate one. And he said, and then, you know, there was Tony that came in. And Tony was the evangelist. And then there was um, Jim that came in. And Jim taught us how to study and how to, how to really read God's Word together. And then there was Scott. And Scott was the one that kind of could help reconcile things and bring things together. And then he said, there's you. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I can't tell you what it is that God's got you here for right now. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a plan. I'm sure there's a purpose. Now think, God uses all kinds. Of, I thought about that list of all the different gifts and how God gifts people in different ways and he has a role for them. And, and isn't that what Paul is saying here with him and Apollos. I mean, Paul was the one that went in. He was the one who planted, but it was Apollos that came through and he had watered and he had nurtured the church and he had seen the church grow. He said, it's not an either or thing. It is a both and. We need all of us fulfilling the roles that God has given us. In verse 8, he says, now he who plants and he who waters are one because all of us together, as we fulfill our role for the kingdom of God, every one of us together can make a difference because we are united behind him and his purpose and his goal. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. God has partnered with us and he is using us to make a difference. Now, I mention all the pastors out here, but many of you can think about those other individuals like deacons and Sunday school teachers and people that taught RAs and people that taught taught GAs. And you remember some of those people that maybe they don't have a picture hanging on the wall, but God used them in his own way to plant and to water at different seasons in your life and different seasons in my life. God used them. And we we don't gather around a personality because of them. Instead, we gather around the person of Christ because they nurtured us and they helped us grow. Each one of us has a role, but never forget God has a role. You see, Paul says, hey, I planted, Paulus watered, but it says God gave the increase. I love the original language there, the way it states this. It's something like this. Paul says, I planted at a certain point in history. There was a certain moment, a certain time when I was the one 
who planted. And there was a certain point in history, a certain moment when Apollos watered. A certain time. But God, he changes tenses here in the verb, and he says, God was the one who was continuing to give the increase. I love that in that original language. It's almost like Paul says, hey, I was there at a certain point. Apollos was there at a certain point. But it was God who was there the whole time giving that continuous increase in the church's life. Because God has a role. You know, it's one thing for us to come and to plant and and to water and to nurture. But we know it must be God who gives the increase. It's God who has to continue to work in our lives. It's God who has to continue to work the field. This thing he calls the church. It's God who gives the increase. So each one of us has a role. But he has a role in giving the increase. And he allows us just simply to partner with him. Isn't that a great privilege and opportunity? To know that we can be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves and and this world. But we can be a part of God's kingdom. Of making a difference. Of fulfilling our role as he fulfills his role through us. Tremendous opportunity and blessing. Well, the first analogy he uses is talking, is talking about the field, the garden. Notice he shifts just a little bit. Same thing, but he uses a different analogy. In verse 9, he says, you are God's building. You're God's building. So he launches out into this analogy. In verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. He says, God allowed me to be in some ways this wise architect, this wise builder. He allowed me to come in and he allowed me to lay the foundation. Now, when you're going to build a building, you want to make sure that you have a good foundation. You want a sure foundation, right? You want to make sure that everything is just right. If you're going to build this superstructure on it, you need to make sure you have a foundation that can support it. And what he says is, when I came in as this wise builder, notice he picks up this idea, idea of wisdom again. Earlier in the letter, he had talked about how wisdom was simply found in Christ. And now he says... I have fulfilled the role of the wise master builder or architect. And what I have done is I have used a sure foundation. That foundation being Jesus Christ. That everything that is done now at the church at Corinth, we know at least it is built initially or it was built initially upon the person of Christ. Now remember, Peter. Caesarea Philippi. Remember the great confession he makes? Jesus has said, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, different people say you're Elijah and you're the... And and Jesus said, no, who do you say that I am? And Peter at Caesarea Philippi said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one that was promised. And what did Jesus say? 
Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. Now again, he's not talking about Peter the person. but He's not talking about uh, the, the apostles themselves. He's talking about the confession and, I think, the person of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ. That is, you are the Son of God. And that confession is the confession that we are built upon to this day. It is the foundation. Jesus Christ, the foundation. So here, Paul says, I, I used a sure foundation. He says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. If you're going to build a superstructure over it, you need to make sure that you're careful. He says, verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, he says, each one's work will become clear. He says, in other words, if you're going about being a wise builder, an expert builder of the church, you must be careful. He says, you, you use a sure foundation, you use a skillful framework, and you use solid fabric. You use solid materials. That's what he says. You got to make sure that you use the right thing in the right place. Because one of these days, one of these days, when God returns, all will be clearly seen and clearly demonstrated. You can tell what you use to build the church. The things that you involved, whether it was gold or silver or precious stones or whether it was wood or hay or straw, he said one day you'll be able to tell. So it's very important that you build with solid material in a skillful way. That's one of the challenges today, isn't it? I mean, all of us here could, could say that the foundation of the church is Christ. It's usually not the foundation that we discuss or we debate about. It's usually the materials that we use to continue to build the church. The materials that we use or the methodology. Remember Paul said, I'm an expert builder. He says, it's usually the framework, the strategy, those kinds of things that we usually debate. I, I found a quote this week, Chuck Swindoll, one of the, I think, greatest preachers of our age. And I have always enjoyed reading him and hearing him preach. And he made this statement. He said, our challenge is to stay up with the time to serve our generation, yet in no way alter the truths of his word. Styles and methods change and must be kept up to date, but truth, it's timeless, not subject to change. We're to be willing to leave the familiar without disturbing the essentials. To minister effectively, the church must wake up to what changes and what doesn't. The church that sits around frowning at the future, doing little more than polishing yesterday's apples, will become a church lacking in relevance and excitement. At the same time, listen, the church that softens its stand theologically and alters Scripture to fit the future style will lose its power. 
Every day we, be, we should be praying that God would give us the wisdom to build his church in such a way that it will retain the power and will retain the truth while yet speaking to the generation that we find ourselves in. It is a balance that is very tough to find, but it is a balance in which we should strive for in our churches. We should try to build in the appropriate ways and to remember that what we're building with, the things that we're building with, that one day it will be seen clearly how that structure has been built. I want you to hear me this morning clearly, okay? I am very thankful. I am very thankful for the programs that God has given us here at Temple. I'm very thankful for the programs that he has given us. My children benefit from those. I benefit from those. You benefit from those. I am very thankful for the programs. I'm very thankful for the facilities, aren't you? Even though today I wouldn't need as much air conditioning, I do like air conditioning in the churches. I am thankful for the facilities. Always am I thankful. I am thankful that God gives us resources to do things. Very thankful for the resources he provides. But the church is not built simply around the material buildings. The church is not built upon the programs themselves. What is the church built upon? Well, of course, again, we say the foundation of Christ and the confession of Christ. But the church is built through His Word, which always endures, through the Holy Spirit working in our lives and giving us the power and the strength that is so necessary. You see, the church is built over and above these material things that we see. And notice he says one day, in that day when Christ returned, that there will be this refining element, this fire, that will demonstrate once and for all what the church was built upon. Now remember, we're God's church, right? Isn't that what he said earlier? We belong to him. In, in, in verse 9, he had said, God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're God's building. Notice the possessive, it is in the emphatic place there, speaking about we belong to God. So one day, he has the right to look at us and determine who we are before him. And one day, it says in verse 13, the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. There will be a day, he says, in which there will be that refining influence of fire upon the church's life. And you'll be able to see if that church has truly been built upon the things that are eternal. That's what he says. Now listen, this is not the judgment day of believers and unbelievers, okay? This is not the same thing he's talking about here. He's talking about the church itself that one day will stand before him and we will be able to see in one way what the church has been built 
upon. And he says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. A reward. Brother Reggie, what's that reward? I have no clue. You like that answer? I don't really know. I mean, I see that for believers, now it's hard to, hard to envision this, but for believers, there's somehow God provides rewards. And this is not just works-based. Now, I understand that we're saved through grace alone, right? You believe that? We're saved through grace alone. But somehow as you look through the New Testament, it also says for those who have been faithful and those who have demonstrated themselves in, in different areas of life and they have demonstrated works in their life, there's something else. There's some type of reward that is given. And that's what he says here. For that church that somehow has been built on the right things and they are displaying the right kind of testimony for those that have been built upon the eternal things of Christ. For those... They'll receive a reward. And doesn't that speak to us then? And perhaps maybe even sober us to our responsibility of building in the right way with the right material upon the person of Christ? It should make us take note that what we are and who we are is a serious thing before Him. For it says, verse 15, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, and he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And although we're going to go back and look at verses 16 and 17 later, he says one of the great things about this building that's being engineered, this church, is that this building literally is what? The temple of God. So it's not just any building that you're building. You're trying to build upon the temple of God. Those pronouns there are in the plural. It means that all of you are, all of you, he says, are the temple of God's spirit. All of you. So all of us retain the presence of Christ, presence of the Holy Spirit at least, and we reflect the purity of Christ, or we should, because that's what we're building, the temple. So if we're building in such a way, we should be faithful. We should be faithful to use the right things, use it in the right way, so that one day when we stand before him, we will receive a reward for what he's given us. So let me just say this to you. Let's get it together. Let's get it together so that we can work. We can work the garden that God has given us. We can work upon the building that he wants us to continue to construct until he returns. Knowing that he himself is the one who gives the increase and is the one who empowers us to such a work. I am so thankful God's let me be a partner. I'm so thankful he's let you be a partner in his work. Would you simply commit yourself to being faithful and working for him
to make a difference for his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and I'm so thankful that you have allowed us to be your co-laborers. And God, I pray that as you continue to work here and through Temple Baptist Church, that you will build a people, a people that are built upon your son, the Lord Jesus, a people who are, Lord, built with the eternal things and not just the temporal things. Father, I pray that today in this place we would commit our lives just as the generations before us have of making a difference for your kingdom collectively together piercing the darkness of this community and our nation and this world. God, speak to us today and help us to be the church we should be so that one day when we stand before you, Lord, there will be a reward for your family, for your people. Thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of invitation?